0: Welcome to the First Prez Podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. Our services are Sunday mornings at 30, 9, 10, and 11 o'clock. You can learn more about First Prez at firstprezcos.org. Well, good morning. good morning. Today we enter a season of hope and expectation. Today we begin our journey to the manger to worship a king that was born to save. It's Christmas. It's exciting. Thank you, Johnsons, for lighting lighting our wreath and getting us started. I want to invite you to open your Bibles or turn on your Bibles to Matthew 24, beginning with verse 36, and we'll go through 44. Um, You'll notice that as I read this text, it's not a traditional Christmas text, but it's a passage, you'll see, that sets an expectation of how we are to wait for the coming of Jesus. Jesus. These words of Jesus are not about his first coming as a baby, but they're about a time when he will come again. So listen to these words, listen to the word of the Lord, Matthew 24, beginning with verse 36. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man, for in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch to the time when the wise men followed the star to find the baby Jesus, the message of Matthew is clear and compelling. Keep watch. Be ready. Don't miss Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word this morning. May it go forth and plant it it deep in our hearts that it might grow and be nurtured that your work might bear fruit in our lives. Lord, we are grateful that we are not on our own, but that you are with us in this season of Christmas. So encourage us today with your word. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Well, the Herdmans were absolutely the worst kids in the history of the world. They lied and stole and smoked cigars, even the girls' and talked dirty and hit little kids and cussed their teachers and took the name of the Lord in vain and set fire to Fred Shoemaker's old, broken-down tool house. Thus begins a most beloved Christmas story of my generation, the best Christmas pageant ever. Barbara Peterson Robinson tells the story of how the six worst kids on the block found their way into starring roles of the town's Christmas pageant, much to the horror of every church family in the town, <laughs> it's a great story. They didn't know the story, but they became they came to church, and no one said anything. No one, no one told them they couldn't do it because they were so afraid of the herdmen's. But on the night of the pageant, of course, they messed the story up. They'd never heard it before. What were how were they to know? The wise men Leroy, Claude, and Ollie bring ham to the baby Jesus. I mean, it makes total practical sense. Gladys Herman, the angel Gabriel, hollers at the shepherds so loudly that they all start crying in fear that she actually might clobber them. Imogene Herdman is Mary, and she shows up that night with a black eye and a crooked veil, burps the baby Jesus, and then threatens to beat Herod up if he comes anywhere near her baby. And it's important to say in this moment That that year, the baby Jesus was played by a baby doll. Because upon hearing that Imogene Herdman was playing the role of Mary, every young mom in the congregation withdrew her baby from the volunteer pool on who was going to be baby Jesus. No one wanted Imogene to touch their baby. But surprisingly in the chaos, the Herdmans, all six of them, meet Jesus that night. The most unlikely kids on the block are overcome and overwhelmed by the story of Christmas. It's a hilarious picture of contrasts and how the hope of Jesus can reach even the hardest of hearts. And we also discover, no surprise, that it's not just the Herdmans who need to meet Jesus that night. It's everyone in the church, in the town, even Reverend Hopkins and Alice Wendelkin, who thought that she should have been cast as Mary that year. A whole town wakes up for Jesus. Well, Matthew is a master writer when it comes to contrasts as well. His gospel opens looking at the stories of those who are waiting expectantly for the coming Messiah. He writes about Joseph and the wise men. You know the story. Joseph is visited in a dream and told about this miracle that is about to happen, that he needs to stay with Mary because he's about to play a starring role in the greatest story ever told. The wise men see a star in the east and they know that something has happened. A king has been born and they have to go and find out who this king is. So their stories are told alongside the contrast of King Herod, who is a ruthless ruler only concerned about himself, a greedy, small man. The contrast of the characters couldn't be more vivid as Matthew lays them out. Now, none of these men knew exactly when the Messiah would be born. But Joseph and the wise men give us a picture in scripture of what it means to be awake, watchful, ready, prepared. King Herod, on the other hand, gives us a picture of the exact opposite He only attends to his own eating and drinking and his appetite for self. He's fearful. As you know, he orders unspeakable murders. Matthew delivers a devastating image of Herod. The message? Be like Joseph and the wise men. Stay far away from Herod. And so in our text today, Matthew 24, we read about Jesus' teaching about his second coming and Jesus is very clear, he will come again. Now if you've ever read Matthew 24 or that surrounding, the surrounding scripture, you know that it's filled with apocalyptic language, signs of the coming of the end of the world, false messiahs, destruction, suffering, and difficulty. What exactly is Jesus talking about? In Matthew 24, when will all this happen? What does it all mean? Is he speaking of the end of the temple, which is, will happen in the not so f- far future, or is he speaking about the end of the world as we know it? At times, it seems like he's talking about both events, maybe one, maybe the other, but perhaps it's purposely a little bit obscure. But the point is this: in the life that you live, between the manger and the last trumpet, be awake. Be alert, stand watch, trust in the Lord, and follow him. And above all, don't worry about the time. Because Jesus says, about that day and hour, nobody knows. So let me ask you this as we begin this Christmas season. When was the last time you didn't worry about time? I'll give you a minute. When was the last time you told somebody else not to worry about the time? Well, dinner is at 6, but don't worry about the time. The show starts at 7.30, but really don't even think about that time. Um, there are only three Christmas joy tickets left, but don't, don't rush. It, it's okay. Your final exam schedule is posted today, but as you look through it, don't even pay attention to the time that your exams are going to take place. It doesn't happen. We think about time all the time. Timing is what we live by. It's everything. We need to know when to show up. We live by the clock. Things are happening. We don't want to miss them. But Jesus couldn't be more clear in Matthew 24. About that time, you're not going to know. Only the Father knows, not even the angels, not Jesus. Nobody knows. About that day or hour, No one knows. In other words, put away your calendars, silence your watches. Don't think about time. Don't bother with predictions. You won't know, you can't know. And it's a waste of time to spend your time trying to figure out the time. (laughs) Rather, Jesus says, be prepared for my coming. It's not about timing. It's about paying attention. Don't miss Jesus. So today we begin Advent, which is a season to prepare and wait for the coming of Christ, but apparently not a season to worry about time. Are you with me? Okay. Advent stretches across four weeks, and traditionally, the first Sunday of Advent, which is today, is our time to begin waiting. And our text today in Matthew 24 reminds us, actually, that our whole life is about waiting for Jesus' return. But waiting is not a passive activity. There is work to be done. There is hope to be built. Jesus says, keep watch, pay attention, stay alert, be prepared. And then as we work our way through the passage, Matthew gives us a couple contrasting characters to help us understand what Jesus is talking about. First, in verse 38, he contrasts Noah with the rest of the planet. And you know the story. The world is um, full of wickedness, but Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. God instructs Noah how to build an ark, what to put in it, what animals to bring, what food to store up. And as if it's the most natural request in the world, Noah does exactly what God says. No water for miles, no rain and cloud in the sky. And we simply read, and Noah did all the Lord commanded of him. Noah heard the Lord, he trusted his word, and he was awake when everyone else was asleep. And then Matthew gives us two more illustrations two workers in the field in verse 40, two women grinding meal in verse 41. And Jesus says, Of those four, two are swept away, taken by death, and two are still standing, still working, still in the story. They are somehow prepared for the Lord's coming. They are watchful. They are awake. They are ready. Be prepared, said Jesus. Stay awake keep watch. Well, for us in the Holtz house, getting ready and out the door in the morning is nothing short of a minor miracle. Every day. There are uniforms, backpacks, lunches, homework, violins, snacks, you know the drill. Most mornings it feels in our house like we've never done this before. (laughs) Voices get louder, pushback gets a little stronger. And the funny thing is, we all know Exactly what time school starts. It doesn't change. It's the same every day. There's no mystery in this process at all. It's very, very clear. But you see, it's hard enough to get ready for something that you know about, never mind something that you're not very clear on. But in verse 44, Jesus says, You must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour you don't expect. You must be ready. Dale Bruner translates this verse in this way, so you too must learn to be a ready people because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you are not expecting. Learn to be a ready people. It takes time to learn to be ready for Jesus' coming. It takes time to learn hope, Bruner writes. It takes time to learn the strength and stability of Jesus' love for you. Don't miss Jesus. So I've already mentioned several times the Christmas season starts today, though I suppose it is somewhat debatable. Every year we have this cultural tussle over when Christmas actually starts. Um, Costco believes it's in October. Um, The Hallmark Channel believes it's in July. Um, The radio stations actually have no idea. They just pick a random day every year to start the Christmas music. And Starbucks has to look at its customer data every year to pinpoint when is the right time for these Christmas cups to appear. I think this year we might be experiencing just a little bit of backlash for starting Christmas a little too early in the past few years. I mean, does Christmas start before Halloween or is it right after Halloween? And do we even give a nod to Thanksgiving? I hope that you did this week. I hope you celebrated. But if we listen to Jesus' words in Matthew 24, it's ultimately not about the moment or the day, or the time. Again, Matthew writes, we aren't given the time. You don't know on what day the Lord will come. So I suppose it doesn't really matter when you put up your tree, when you start the Christmas music, the exact time you turn on Charlie Brown's Christmas or what version of the Grinch that you prefer. But I did read the same study that you read this year, that those who decorate for Christmas early are happier people. So let's just take a quick scientific poll. How many of you have your trees already up? Okay, now, keep your hand up if you are happy. Man, it's true. Every service this morning, actually more hands go up when they're happy. So. Now we know how to be a happy people. Jesus wants us to be a hopeful people. Tim Keller writes about the struggle to navigate Christmas in our culture every year, and he says what that does is it produces two different celebrations of Christmas that are side by side. There's the giving of gifts, there's the festival of lights, there's the gathering of family, and there's the generous giving to those in need. And he writes that those practices are enriching to everyone, and they are genuinely congruent with the Christian celebration, the Christian origins of the celebration. But what Keller fears is happening is that the true roots and foundation of Christmas are becoming increasingly hidden. Our culture cannot locate the anchor point for Christmas. Where does the hope of Christmas actually come from? Keller reminds us that light in the darkness is rooted in the Christian belief That the hope of the world actually comes from outside of itself. Giving gifts is our response to the self giving nature of a God who gave everything that we might have eternal life. And the generous giving to those in need reflects the reality that Jesus was born into a poor family and that the God of the universe sees the most vulnerable and the least of humankind. Is Christmas truly in hiding? Faith Hill gives us that Christmas tune a little bit more recently that captures the confusion of the cultural moment we are in. Where are you, Christmas? Why can't I find you? Why have you gone away? Great questions. Has Christmas changed? Have we changed? Has the world changed? Where is Christmas? Why can't we find it? Well, Jesus indicates in the Scripture that Christmas, or the coming of Christ, is visible to those who are prepared to receive it. Those who are watching and waiting. So how do we prepare? How do we prepare for the coming of Christ? Today seems like a great day to get started. Because you see, if Jesus invites us to be prepared for his second coming, then it makes sense that we might look at his first coming to help, us, to help guide us and how we're to be watchful and awake. Christmas, then, is a rehearsal every year for our greatest hope, the coming of Jesus again. The season of Christmas teaches us how to wait for Christ's return. And so today we start our Christmas journey. My hope is built, taken from that great hymn that we sang earlier, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. It's a reminder that we don't shape our own hope. We don't have to create a meaningful Christmas on our own. It's not our job to manufacture a hopeful season for the holiday that will hopefully carry us through the coming year. No, our hope is already built on a foundation that's strong enough to carry everything In this world, it's sturdy enough to live under a world that is tired and weary and broken. And it's strong enough to carry all the burdens that you have on your shoulders, the things that weigh on you and push you down. Our hope has a name. Our hope is Jesus, and he will be found in the manger. And so our image for this Christmas season is the manger But it's not just any manger, you probably noticed. It's actually a stone manger, a little different than the wooden manger that we sometimes picture in our imaginations of what that barn-like scene might have looked like. It is likely, highly likely, that Jesus was laid in a stone manger, not a wooden one. As a mom, I think about laying a newborn in this hard, cold, rough manger. I wonder if Mary thought about that, too. But this manger is firm; it's solid; it's solid rock; it's it's immovable; it's strong; it's a structure fit for a king; a structure fit for someone who would be the hope of the world. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. So back to our our passage in Matthew 24. You know, as I've studied this passage this week, I have to admit to you that I've been a little bit overwhelmed by this section of scripture. I don't know if you've spent much time in these later chapters of Matthew. Um, I have a red letter Bible that I use, which maybe you do too, has all the words of Jesus um, in red. And when you open to this section of scripture, what you get is four pages of solid red, which means that Jesus is talking a lot in these chapters, and, th- and these chapters are not easy to understand. Um, we learn that the disciples have come to him. These, these are words he's sharing with them in private, but they've asked him about the end of the age, about the end of time, and Jesus has a lot to share about that. In fact, there's no space for questions or interruptions. Jesus is just talking. And I think, as I read through these chapters, how did they absorb all this? This is not easy to understand. This is not easy to take in. And I think sometimes we come to scripture, and we read, and it's not immediately clear what we're reading. It's not easily understandable what the words of Jesus mean. Um, And that's okay, because we know that the word of God is our life. But the word of God is active and living and it's shaping our hearts and it's building our hope even when we don't quite understand what's going on. Chapter chapter 25, if you flip the page, is also all red. Jesus just keeps talking. And he ends all of this with these words to his disciples. As you know, the Passover is two days away and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. So as if all the things that he has just said is not enough, the paragraph ends with him talking about something that's about to happen that's really hard. He seems to be telling them that you are about to enter in the most difficult and dark time that you will ever experience. And they will watch Jesus be brutally killed and their hope and their dreams will seem to die and it will feel like Jesus has gone away forever and I wonder in those moments as Jesus is sharing this with them with with us all these words that he he just knows in these moments that they need to hear the sound of his voice in times of suffering we need to be able to recognize the sound of Jesus voice so he just talks and talks and they simply listen and then we read our passage kind of tucked in here in 24 and Jesus says, but take heart because okay, I'm coming back. I'm coming back and you can be sure to rest your hope on the promise of God. Listen, trust, obey. Know the sound of Jesus' voice. Because the hope that we experience at the manger is the same hope that we're going to carry with us all the way through our lives to the end of the age. God promised he would come once, and he did. And he promises that he'll come back, and he will. And so Advent is a time set aside each year to rehearse that hope, to learn to keep watch, to stay awake, to be ready. Advent shapes us as a people expectantly Believing that Christ is coming. And so as we step into this Christmas season again, once more, we practice keeping watch with the shepherds. We travel with the wise men to places unknown. We give generously to those in need. We stay awake, literally, on the night before Christmas. But not for Santa. But for the birth of a baby who would change the course of history forever. We gather and worship each Sunday during Advent with hope and expectation, believing that that God has sent the promised one, that Jesus has come, and he'll come again. We'll spend time in celebration all over the city at different places, and we'll carry with us the good news that Christ is born, for God is one who keeps his promises. We listen, we trust, we obey, we share the good news. So today as we gather in this room, I don't know the full range of suffering um, and grief that this room contains today, but I know that it, it contains a lot. I know that each of you carries something that is a burden, that you bear grief, that you're weighed down by suffering and struggle in your life. I know that. I know a lot of your stories. I know my own story. We all share in those sufferings. But I guess what I want to say as we enter this Christmas season is that you don't need to tuck that away for the next four weeks and try to put on some kind of happy face. Because Christ meets us in our places of suffering, in our places of struggle, and he is intimately acquainted with every grief, every burden, every sorrow, and every struggle that you have. And Jesus is strong enough to hold you and to hold me and to hold an entire world that is waiting for his return. Keep your eyes on me, Jesus says. Stay awake. Stay alert. Keep watch. Look for me. I'm going away for a short time, but don't worry about that time because I am with you always to the end of the age, and I will Return and set all things aright. And when he comes with trumpet sound, oh, may we then in him be found. This Christmas, let's not miss Jesus. Let's learn hope together. Let's be ready for the coming of Jesus at any moment. Let's rest our hope on the promises of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for a real hope that you have given to us and to this world. We thank you that you have come and that you are coming again. Lord, it is our longing to not miss you, but to pay attention in this season especially, to watch for you, to look for you in the most unexpected places. God, surprise us with the hope that you give. Our hearts belong to you. We want to build our hope on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the First Prez Podcast. If you would like more information, you may visit our website at firstprezcos.org.